Tradition 7. The ABC is abs, uh, anorexic bulimic compulsive overeater, but the C is like 27 font, whereas the A is one font, one point font, and the B is five point font. Uh, anyway, board. As uh, applied to relationships, every person in the relationship, whether it be family, work, or environment, um, ought to be fully self-supporting physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Uh, the questions, how well do I live by the seventh tradition in all of my affairs? So what I wanna do is I wanna take a step back for a second. Think about as you're listening to these traditions, as we go through them, write down one thing, just one thing that you can do tomorrow to practice this tradition. You know, just make a little note, what is one thing you can do tomorrow to practice this tradition in all your affairs? The other thing I want to talk about is, uh, before I really get into this, is one of the reasons why I'm using the OA 12 and 12 literature rather than say, for example, the AA 12 and 12 literature, which is also conference approved, is the OA 12 and 12 literature speaks specifically to our primary purpose, which is to carry the message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Um, this literature speaks exactly, specifically to, to Overeaters Anonymous. And so that's one of the reasons why I've chosen to use the OA 12 and 12. So um, how well do I live by the, the, the traditions, uh, the seventh tradition, all my affairs? You know, question one, it has been said that being fully self-supporting is contributing our time, our talent, and our treasure. How do I do this in all areas of my life? Do I really contribute all I can to the OA program, to my spiritual family, uh, to my family, you know, my current family, uh, my, my husband or partner, my work environment, or do I do just as little, just as little as possible to get by? And, you know, this is an interesting tradition because people think of the seventh tradition as money, and that's always a real, uh, it's kind of a hot topic. People get real stressed out about that. But, you know, there, there have been times in program where I was not working. I was going to grad school. I didn't have a lot of money to give. And I didn't, didn't have a lot of time either. But, you know, I gave what I could, whether that, you know, be service, uh, seventh tradition, um, you know, one, you know, just whatever I could do, I just tried to participate. Um, when I became a mom, and you know, I never thought I was going to be a parent, and then I ended up having three kids. Thank you, to, thanks to the program, because I was never going to have children. Um, you know, once uh, you know, my kids were all special needs kids, and it just took an exorbitant amount of time. And whereas before, I'd done a lot of service at the group, the intergroup, region, and world service, and all of a sudden, I didn't have a lot of time. But I could, because I had a job, I could contribute more financially. So whatever I do, I try to, you know, I try to contribute what I can, when I can. And it doesn't always have to be monetarily. So, and this is, and this is true, you know, in a sense, I, I don't have a, tr I don't have trouble with this tradition. I've always had this character, my, my sponsor calls it the character defect of over-responsibility. And, um, you know, and so sometimes I have to, I always, I, I tend to do too much rather than too little. And so what I try to do is I look for balance. And because if I do more than, if, if, I, if I'm more self-supporting, you know, if, if I do more than I need to, if I'm going way overboard, 
in my relationships, for example, I'm not giving them the other people in the relationship the opportunity to do what they need to do to step up to the plate. So um, question two, am I willing to contribute something to the group, something to the group, even when I'm afraid of economic insecurity? When in difficult financial times, am I willing to donate my time or talent as a way of being self-supporting? And that, that's another thing I just, I just talked about um, is there are many ways to contribute to OA and it doesn't always have to be financial. But one of the things I do look at is how much was I willing to spend on a binge? And if I'm not willing to give to the group what I'm willing to spend on a binge, then I need to take a look at that because I spent a shit ton, excuse my language, of money on binging. And am I willing, I have to look at, am I willing to, to contribute um, in seventh tradition as much as I'm, I was willing to contribute to my eating disorder? Uh, question three, do I pay attention to my family's finances and make sure they're managed in a responsible manner? Do I listen carefully to the needs of others in my relationships? So, you know, for example, in my, in my family, um, one way that I can be self-supporting um, is, you know, looking at the family finances. You know, some folks, you know, sure, I could go out and, and, and charge or take out a loan and buy a new car every couple of years. You know, I just don't do that. Part of it is I need to be saving my money for my kids' college. You know, they're all three in college right now. God, talk about a wallabectomy. And you know, I've been saving for many years for this, but still it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty shocking how much it costs. And so I need to look at my family's finances and, and make sure that am, am I being self-supporting and am I managing things appropriately? If I'm spending all my money on going out and getting you know, fancy designer clothes and you know, boat or whatever, you know, and not looking at what is best for the family, then I need to take a good hard look at this. And so, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I just kind of, I need to keep that barometer. And then also discussing major purchases with my, with my husband, my significant other, because, you know, it is a group, it is a family, it's a unit of, you know, it's a family unit. And if any one person is going half cocked and spending all their money on gambling or buying new things when they don't need to, you know, the family itself is going to come into, it's going to be in serious trouble. It's kind of like, in know, way where we're all fully self-supporting. And if we all just, you know, quit volunteering and quit uh, giving our, you know, seventh tradition, um, whatever, away would be in trouble. So it's part of uh, living the seventh tradition is being, you know, it's being self-supporting and being responsible and, and put, doing my fair share. Um, you know, another question, do I pay for my own expenses or do I sponge off others? Do I pay the going rate to my employees? Do I contribute my fair share when doing tasks at home? Do I pull my weight at work or do as little as possible to get by hoping my coworkers will pick up the slack? Well, I'm I'm, I tend to be overly responsible in many areas of my life, but there's one area that I suck. Housework. See, housework makes you ugly. <laughs> I hate housework. You know, and I'm blessed with having a really good job. I work many, many hours. I put in 50 to 60 hours a week at my job and I'm, I'm blessed with a good salary. And so I pay to have a housekeeper. So I guess I, do, I am self-supporting in that respect. But you know, one area that I, I admit that I've got to, I suck at housekeeping. My husband does a better job than I do. And uh, you know, when you go into my, my living room it looks like a freaking craft bomb went off. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> there's beads everywhere, you know. Um, one of the things I do to keep from eating compulsively is I do a lot of jewelry design. I'm always, you know, it gives me something to do with my hands rather than this. But I have to balance that with, okay, 
if the house is looking like a craft bomb went off, maybe I need to be a little bit more self-supporting and clean and organize so the whole house doesn't look like a craft bomb. And that's one of the things I'm working on right now. Uh, question five, do we rotate jobs regularly or do we have the same person doing the same thing, like taking out the garbage or doing the same activities at work or doing the same service positions year after year? Or do I take on more responsibility than I can effectively handle at one time? Do I encourage less active family members or coworkers to become more involved? Again, this is about balance. You know, a rotation of service means healthy meetings. Um, you know, rotation of chores means, you know, less uh, resentment in the family. You know, something to consider. And finally, question six, do I take responsibility for my own spiritual, emotional, and physical needs? Do I allow my partner the dignity to grow, even if it means sometimes allowing them to fail? Or do I have an overly developed sense of responsibility? So this is a tough one because self-care is one of the things that's really difficult. With my sponsor, I send her my 10 step uh, nightly and I we do a, a process called AEIOU. And um, A is am I abstinent? E, if I exercise, I, what have I done for myself? Oh, what have I done for others? You. Um, what are some uncomfortable feelings that come up that I need to talk about? Maybe do it, you know, an amends. And why is Yahoo? What am I grateful for? And so, you know, I do I do I take responsibility for my own emotional, physical, and uh, spiritual needs? That's something that I keep track of. And I think I'm kind of getting close to my the end of my time. So I'm going to just move into uh, thoughts on which to meditate. The seventh tradition of saying no to outside contributions and yes to our responsibilities as OA groups and individuals is a vital principle. It keeps us and, us and our fellowship free of the complications that would inevitably arise were we to depend upon outside sources. And when we, when we honor this tradition, we gain the self-respect that comes from being self, fully self-supporting. Page 137 of the OA 12 and 12. So why do we need to be self-supporting? Pages 131 and 132, again, in our OA 12 and 12. You know, why do we need to support the intergroup regional world service? This is an important one, pages 132 to 134. How does being, being self-supporting help us set clear boundaries in OA and in our relationships? Pages 135 and 136, boundaries are a huge issue with many of us compulsive overeaters. When we are dependent upon someone else for our well-being, we are vulnerable prey for sick relationships. Being self-supporting is impossible if one of the partners becomes a higher, higher power for the other. The same is true when one person in the relationship is overly dependent on the other for their emotional well-being. Our self-worth comes from within and from God, not from having someone in our life in order to feel okay about ourselves. When each partner in the relationship understands that they are responsible for their own survival and progress, a greater spiritual strength flows into, into each and the relationship is made doubly strong. Each partner is able to do their part without asking or expecting the other to do it for them. We're each able to be responsible for our own growth. And um, the only the other thing I wanted to say real quick was, you know, it, they talk about in the twelve in the twelve in, or in step uh, four self seeking. And one way the ways I look at self seeking is, am I seeking my worth in other people's lives? And um, you know. Just, just a thought on that. I'm going to pass this over to Mike. I hope I didn't take up too much of your time, Mike. You're on mute. That's all right. Um, I'll just go ahead and write about that resentment later. I, I'm more <laughs> fully recovered than you think. Anyway, 
the, the, this, the, these, this step in this tradition are, I really believe, so intricately entwined. Humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. The spiritual principle, of course, is humility. At seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. The spiritual principle is responsibility. Here's how I see that it works. The more responsible I become, the more fully self-supporting I become, the fewer um, shortcomings I have to deal with. It's becoming responsible and then having the humility that I need to do something that I really don't wanna do. Um, as, Tana, as Tana mentioned, um, I've never, truthfully, I've never been in a, I've worked for nonprofits pretty much my, my life. And so therefore I didn't, I was not in the upper echelons of the monetary success and stuff. I did, um, I did make sure though, that I was fiscally responsible to myself by participating in uh, 403Bs, which are basically uh, 401Ks for nonprofits. You know, that's one of the ways. See, this, this, this responsibility, this, this um, being fully self-supporting, because I'm a single man, I don't have um, a spouse. I don't have a roommate. Um, so I truly am fully self-supporting through my own contributions, which means that um, I have to work. I, and, and therefore, it's imperative that I follow what is suggested with all of this. Now, what are my shortcomings? You know, I looked at the word shortcomings and it talked about a whole bunch of stuff. So basically, once again, I'm asking God to remove my defects of character. And my big defect of character, of you've heard me say, is fear with pride, anger, greed, gluttony, lust, envy, and sloth as my subcategories. But I want you to know one of those things that, um, that, that, that um, thing with uh, the principle of humility um, and with asking God to remove that that greed aspect. You see, one of the things I really do believe is we find balance in this program and in working the 12 steps, the fear is lessened. So when I have the less fear, when I'm not so greedy, it means that I'm more generous. And how am I generous? One of the things I have to look at is, am I generous to myself? Or am I codependent and think everybody else comes before me? And I think that that's one of the biggest attributes in this program that we sometimes fail to look at. I'm not taking any inventory but my own. Um, I fail to look at is how am I treating myself and all this other stuff. Now, one of the things that I can uh, truthfully say is I love sweaters. There is something about sweaters that I dearly, dearly dearly, dearly love. And I'm involved in this men's study group, which is uh, not a registered meeting. And I talked about my love for sweaters. And so, and I, and I, since I don't have big bucks, I know how to shop and I know where to go to get the good stuff 
when it's on sale, et cetera, et cetera. Now, part of me is going, well, yes, you're being very responsible. You're being fiscally responsible, but I'm not being very humble with the fact that I want more and more and more and more. See, here's the thing. How do I, how do I balance humility with, with um, responsibility? And they work, but oh, it is so challenging to do that, people. It's for me, it's just kind of like, well, wah. It's you know, one of the reasons I wanted to be a priest. It wasn't for the spiritual or religious reason. It was because I would get paid. I would have a house. I could buy my own car. My food, my food would be given, prepared for me. My house would be done. And I, all this other stuff. All I had to do was just give up my life to one specific organization. Now, is that a payoff or is that more codependent? You know, truthfully, I had to look at that. And it was kind of ugly when I stopped and thought about that. Um, and being an overly responsible individual, especially in OA groups, sometimes I have to sit on my hands and just go, no, I have done this work. It is other people's responsibility to do that. But yet at the same time, there is a humble aspect with that going, yes, I know I could do that work and I know I could do it well and all that other stuff, but I need to step aside and let someone else have the opportunity and the responsibility and the accountability to learn how to do this. And yet it is my responsibility to be humble enough to say to that individual who's taking that job, I'm here to help you. I'll be, I'll be your co-leader with this. You will be in charge and I'll just be your right behind you helping you do this stuff. That my friends is humility with responsibility. And you don't hear about that a lot. And I think that, that um, in our beloved program, as I continue to grow up and be, be responsible, I also, in learning to be responsible, I'm also learning how to be humble. And um, I think that that's one of the greatest gifts that this program can give each one of us is the responsibility to become humble. Isn't that unique? I mean, oh my gosh. So give what you can, not only to, and the question is, in what ways has your understanding of humility allowed you to be more generous and responsible to your family, work, OA, and favorite charitable organizations with your time, talent, and treasure? That is the question that has been around since time immemorial. And how do we do, how do we balance that? And this whole, this whole purpose of these traditions and steps is to help us find balance in life. And in finding balance in life, we will find balance uh, at the emotional, physical, spiritual, emotional, and intellectual levels. And that will end it for this phase. And so we will now automatically go into number eight. Thank you very much. Do you wanna do, do you wanna start with number eight, Mike? No, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm being a gentleman today. It's so one of those rare occasions, Tana. <laughs> Take it for what it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tradition eight. 
OA should remain forever non-professional, but our service center may employ special workers. The spiritual principle is fellowship. We are non-professional. And this is one of my favorite phrases because I'm a codependent, I think I can fix anyone. Because I'm an engineer, I know I can. This is dangerous, my friends. <clears throat> As applied to relationships, within our relationships, we are not professionals, but we may employ special workers, such as medical doctors, spiritual advisors, auto repair shops, electrical contractors, counselors, etc. Our relationship should remain forever free, a free giving relationship, each other, each to the other. In a healthy relationship, we do not keep score. So how well do I live by the eighth tradition in all my affairs? One, do I sometimes try to fix other people by giving them my expert advice? Or am I content to share my experience, strength, and hope? That is a, that's a tough one. I used to be, you know, and I could still be great at giving unsolicited advice. You know, it's, that, that used to be a really a problem for me. And now I just try to say, this is what I've done. I could be totally full of shit. Take what you like and leave the rest. And because what works for me may not work for someone else. Question two, do I speak as an expert in my relationship? If so, why do I need to do that? Is my security at risk? Is my fear triggered? Does my ego feel threatened? Um, you know, this is something I have to watch because I've been in a 12-step program for many years and my spouse has not. It's easy to feel like, well, I've got recovery, you know, but I don't have the corner on the market on what's a healthy relationship. And I have some real blind spots, which my husband is... Uh, will carefully and tactfully point out at times. So, you know, I have to remember, I'm not, I'm not always the expert. And this is also hard because at work, I'm seen as an international expert in certain areas. And, and I am, but that doesn't mean I know more than anybody else. And one of the things I try to do when I'm mentoring people is just say, you know, this has just been my experience. This is what's worked for me. And these are stock phrases that I've learned in OA, you know, or I'll just some, someone suggests something and I'll say, you know, I'm great. I'm glad that works for you. It just doesn't happen to work for me. Um, you know, so it's a way that I, I've got to be careful to not put myself in the expert role as far as relationships. I may be expert in a field, but I'm not an expert in relationships. Uh, when I'm having trouble, do I try to hide that from those around me because I want to be elected? looked up to as if I'm a professional or perfect. Definitely early in program, before program, absolutely. Now, eh, I don't care. Um, you know, do I, uh, you know, one of the things about, you know, with our, our relationships, we're not professionals, but we may employ special workers. So when I go and try to give my husband advice on nutrition and diet, that's not really my place and and I really want to do that because see I'm primarily vegetarian and I eat fish and he is a, a carnivore and he likes to eat fried foods and a lot of stuff that I can't eat and there's always sugar around that it just irritates crap out of me all the sugar that's in the house you know and it's not my food I can't have it and so I want to speak as an expert and enlighten him as to what is good for the family what is not as my sponsors told me, when I'm trying to enlighten people, it rarely has a desired effect because they really get annoyed. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's it's one of those things that I've got to keep an, keep an eye on. Um, I know that sugar doesn't work for me. It may be okay for somebody else, but I have to uh, resist being the food police in the family. Um, 
do I believe that my partner or coworker should be in charge of certain chores or tasks based on their gender or experience or education or job? Not really, but I have seen that in the, uh, in the workplace, definitely. Do I take hostages in my relationships? Do I make other people responsible for my own happiness, abstinence, or recovery? And so these are just some things to think about as you're working through this, this tradition. Thoughts on which to meditate. When we keep OA's eighth tradition, we discover a beautiful spirit of caring service, which becomes a powerful factor in our healing. We are all non-professionals in our support of each other's recovery from compulsive eating, giving and receiving support and fellowship with no expe expectations of return. Living by the spirit of this tradition, we can each turn to the one to the one next to us and say truthfully from the heart, I put my hand in yours because I care. Pages 143 of the OA 12 and 12. So some things, you know, on which to meditate, you know, why we steer clear of the profit motive is on page 139. You know, what are the qualifications for service positions? Page 140. Why are higher special workers either outside or inside the fellowship? You know, I may be an electrical engineer, but I certainly am not going to do any electrical wiring in my house. No way. You know, I am not, I don't have the certification for that. There are times I go to a professional. Likewise, I may read a lot of books on medical, medical stuff. That doesn't mean I'm a medical doctor. There's times I hire outside professionals. You know, OA meetings are not therapy groups page 141, and giving support versus fixing others. What's the difference? Page 142. Some things to think about and read about. Mike? You're on mute. Okay. So here's one of the, the things that I, I have to admit to, and that is... Um, this tying this step and this tradition together uh, for, in all honesty, steps eight and nine into tra traditions eight and nine, I, I, I had to go out on a limb with these two. I just wanted to let you know. But as I looked at this, you know, step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. That requires self-discipline. Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. The spiritual principle is fellowship. Now, all of a sudden, it dawned on me how these two, and thank goodness that OA finally put the spiritual principle in with this, because then I can see how these two are intertwined. If I have no discipline, when I go to a when I go to fellowship or be around others, am I trying to be in control? Control is one of those biggest issues. Whether it be um, the control, whether it be what time the meeting starts, who I want at the meeting, you know, all of this stuff, a whole lot of intricate little things that are in this mind but don't come out of the mouth. Um, as I said, there are certain times that I actually hold my tongue because I don't like to make amends to people I don't like. So I just keep it within and then immediately call other folks to help me walk, to walk, to walk me out uh, uh, from, from the cliff. This, this thing, um, this thing about amends, um, 
how do I do, how do I make an amend? And um, there, once again, this is one of those words, amend. Um, if, I, if I've got a hole in a shirt or something, I will mend the shirt. Um, but when I have a, a hole in a relationship, how do I mend that? And I mend that by making amends. And part of that is because I want to be in fellowship. I want to be with that other individual. I want to be part of their life and I want them to be part of my life. That's what I really would like. So, so every once in a while, folks, I find that, that it's really difficult to find and strike balance with, with some of this stuff because life is, I'm gonna go back to step one where um, our lives are unmanageable and then coming to clean up all of this stuff, that's really blasted scary. And, and I sometimes need people to help me walk through that. You know, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our servants centers may employ special workers. For me, I have to look at this. Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professionals. I need look, not look at my, at my fellow OA members as therapists. And I think this is one of the most important things. Um, I, there's a gentleman now that uh, he and I are doing the steps together and stuff. And um, sometimes we just have to tell folks how the cow ate the cabbage. And I said, you need to go to therapy. And he looked at me, he says, well, I'm in a 12-step program. And I said, I don't care. I said, because what happens is, and this is part of that self-discipline, folks, for me, that self-discipline is I want I've already been notified in OA about what I need to do and all this other stuff. But we are not the professionals that help people walk through and how to get past um, items dealing with uh, anger, uh, sex abuse, um, uh, you know, a whole bu bunch of issues. I just mentioned those two. Anger is a, a big one for us compulsive overeaters. Um, because we might not say anything, but I have eaten anger over anger more than anything else. And that's where I have to make, you ever, making amends to myself was really difficult because what that really means is I want to be in fellowship with myself. I mean, it's okay for me to be in fellowship with you guys and you all help me to develop self-discipline. But with this self-discipline then, I must learn to be in fellowship with myself. And that's what this program is all about, a way of life with that. The questions that I have on this is, by having the self-discipline to make amends, do I owe an amends to the OA fellowship for holding myself out to be a professional OAer due to my length of time in program professional uh, professional skills used in performing OA service work and uh, personal knowledge slash understanding of the 12 steps, 12 traditions, and 12 concepts of Overeaters Anonymous? Have I allowed 
other OA members to take the lead and held them out as OA professionals, though they are not special workers for the OA fellowship. How have I harbored ill will to professionals and other special workers in my homework, social, or even medical and psychological lives? Those are questions that I just sit there and I just go, ooh. You know, there are certain times that I just go, oh, can't these people get it right? And like in OA, haven't they read the traditions? Well, has anybody ever taken them through the traditions to sit down to talk with them about the traditions? And that's why at my home group, we, um, we have uh, every month, we have a traditions meeting where we read the tradition of the month and it and how it applies to our lives rather than just the group. It helps us, it helps me to find out how I need to be to be a better group member. And, and what, this, what this tradition for me really means is me not nitpicking at professionals and me not telling people what to do in the program to make them better OA members. And that takes a great deal of self-discipline to hold the tongue because I want to control. See how all of see how all of this stuff is just is just going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. I think it's fascinating how what doesn't look like it works, it, it, it matches so so is tied one to the other. So self-discipline for me and fellowship are showing me that through the self-discipline, you all have taught me how to be a better member of this group, of this fellowship, so that I can go out to the real world and be of, um, be of service without being controlling. Have you ever been, you can kind of tell folks who are in a 12-step program by the way they lead meetings outside of an OA meeting. I have been to meetings where um, you can just tell the way that they, they run the meeting and stuff. And I have gone up to them afterwards and I said, you lead an excellent meeting. I'm just curious, are you involved in the 12-step way of life? And they'll look at me and they say, well, yeah, why? And I said, because it shows the way that you lead the meeting. Because you are not holding yourself out as a professional, but you are holding yourself with a great deal. And now I see it as self-discipline and the willingness to listen to others. And that's what amends are. The willingness to listen to myself and make amends to those I have harmed, either uh, you know, physically, emotionally, spiritually, uh, materially, sexually, intellectually, that's the way it works. And I think that that's what uh, we learn in this 12-step way of life. And actually, we've got about, um, Tana, we have about four minutes left. Is there anything that um, you would like to share um, or discuss? And you're on mute. Well, 
I'm, I think I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm, amazingly, I have nothing to say. <laughs> For those of you who don't know Tana well, I want you to mark this date on your calendar and we should actually have a national <laughs> holiday. <laughs> January 23rd, Tana has nothing more to say. And here's the fun part, neither do I. So, so this is, um, step nine is, may direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. And the spiritual principle is love. And nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. The spiritual principle is structure. And once again, it's kind of like, how in the world are these two combined? And how is love and structure, how, do, how does this actually work? And this is how I, this is how I see it. Um, in order for me to do this particular step, and figure out where I'm going, if I'm going to harm somebody, really that's a structured way of looking at how things I need to do things. And, and see the tradition, this tradition goes immediately to the step in that um, a way as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. What this means is that I cannot do step nine in an unorganized manner because that would cause disunity and, dis and just upset the whole apple cart, so to speak. That's my first reference to foods in this whole thing today. Hmm. So I think that, that this structure, the, the, the structure that we find um, in OA, See, we don't have hierarchical stuff in OA. And it's, I look at this, um, this structure stuff too, um, as in a, the religious tradition I was raised, there was such a very strong hierarchy. And um, that hierarchy actually caused a great deal of pain and angst to, to many people because they were trying to do things for the good of mankind, but others at the top just squelched all of that. So there really was not much love uh, for that because the structure was so strong. And here's where I see that the questions that I have is, while doing the actual uh, amends suggested by the ninth step, are there organizations besides OA, your home, work, or social organizations, in which you have been suspicious of those chosen to be trusted servants? You see, one of the things that I really do believe is that when we, when we do um, Tradition 9 in, outside of OA, we have these trusted servants, what we, what we call trusted servants, doing stuff for us. And at the same time, do I have resentment against those trusted officials? against those folks that I think are doing the good work for me. And then it says, how do I make amends to those individuals? How have I shown lack of love for structure 
at home, work, social, civic groups, and OA as a whole. Let's let's look. I want to look at this love of structure because I think love and structure are actually intricately involved in that. I like the way that OA does things. We don't have hierarchy, but we have committees responsible to those they serve. That is that structure. And I love for me personally to work on those committees that are doing this work to carry the fellowship. And see, I think, I think even at work, even in our work life or other civic organizations or whatever that we're involved in, we fight structure because we don't wanna to be told what to do. We love our autonomy. I'm going to go back to some of these, some of these um, uh, principles that we've already discussed. We don't like structure because we're being controlled and told what to do. We love our autonomy. But if we're really autonomous individuals, we learn how to become structured individuals, how to structure certain things in our lives, how to structure our abstinence, how to structure um, being in a relationship with others, how to structure our work life, um, how we can be in committees and be a responsible committee member. Um, it's, like, it's like throwing together this particular retreat. And it's, it, of course, it was not thrown together by any stretch of the imagination. The um, for, folks came forward and said, yes, I will help with this retreat. They had a committee to do this. We've got the folks on the technical side that helped with this. We have folks who uh, got this ball rolling and wanted to make sure that they got all of this stuff. But part of it is because I really believe that in doing that, we are making amends not only to ourselves but to others to whom we have not ever been nice to on committees. We learn how to make amends to people in OA so that we can learn to make amends to people outside of the program and learn how to structure how to make those amends and be work well with others, plays well with others. How well do I play well with others in my life? And I'm, am I willing to lovingly play well with others following a very, I want to say, unstructured, structured way without having all of the rules and regulations, but just saying, okay, this is how we're going to do it. So Tana will talk for five minutes, then Judith will talk for five minutes, then Paul will talk for five minutes. It's it's a very structured, unstructured way of doing the work I believe my higher power has asked me to do. And so um, I've learned a great deal from making amends. You know, making amends and cleaning my side of the street, I sweep my side of the street. That's a structure, folks. That's, that's, a, that's a structure where the structure of being disciplined, a disciplined structure. Structure really means discipline. And how many of us, me especially at times, just wants to go to discipline. I don't wanna to be told what, to, because it all goes back to my, my autonomy is being stomped on. 
And no, no, that's not the way that it really is. So Tana, I'm going to go ahead and give you about two and a half minutes more. So it's, it's your show. Hi, tradition nine. OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. So the spiritual principle is structure. We're a responsible organization. We're not formally organized. And if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. You know, another thing to think about, has anyone ever accused OA of being too organized? I don't think so. And speaking of if God laugh, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. My kids had one job. Keep the cat out of my office. Guess who's in here? Kitty Ben he wants to participate. <laughs> so as applied to relationships, a family or relationship should be pliable in its organization. But our family group conscience may appoint certain persons to serve various functions and to be re directly responsible to those they serve. Or another way to put it, our relationship ought never be organized or under the control of any one partner. So how well do I live by the ninth tradition in all my affairs? And again, these are just a subset of the, of the questions that are in the back of the OA uh, 12 and 12. And when I originally went through and did the work the traditions, with another OA member is I went through every single question in the back of every tradition and wrote about, you know, for every question in my marriage, in my friendship group, at work, you know, in my faith group, you know, so I, I just covered everything. And that's, um, you know, something that you can do with your sponsor. So question one, um, do I support my spouse, my coworkers or my family members, or am I critical of those who, who are giving service and suspicious of their motives. You know, one of the things that I've seen in, in OA is, you know, when we go to world service and, you know, or even sometimes an intergroup, although I've not seen it in the Seattle intergroup, but, you know, sometimes in OA service positions, uh, region world service, we kind of eat our own and we can be really critical of, of other OA members and service positions. And, you know, um, for example, if somebody has a, a medical condition and they are given, steroids or whatever and they put on weight you know I've, I've seen people be pretty uh pretty nasty toward people you know and 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 judgmental and so you know one of the things you know I think in, in OA as a group that we can do is if someone is putting on weight it doesn't necessarily mean they're in the food they could be on uh you know it could be they are but they also could be on some sort of uh medicine that causes weight gain like steroids you know my coworkers. Am I, am I supportive of my coworkers or am I suspicious of them and of their motives? And in general, I'm pretty supportive of my coworkers until they give me a reason to, to not trust. I mean, once you know, trust is earned and once trust has been seriously broken, I have a hard time with trusting again. But in general, I, you know, I expect the best out of people and I assume they're doing their best because I found when I expect the best and trust they're doing their best, you know, usually the best happens. You know, if I expect the worst, I put out that negative energy and a lot of times the worst happens. So, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of my natural inclination to be, to be supportive and to assume that people are, do, are doing the best they can with the tools they have. Um, 
if I'm being critical of those giving service, maybe it's time for to, to look at my own motives. Am I doing service or am I just being pissy about how someone else is doing service? Because it's really easy to uh, to be critical of another person and, and not be willing to be part of the solution and help out. So that's, that's something that I kind of keep in mind myself. So the second question, am I mature enough to take responsibility for the well-being of my relationships, my family, my work situation, and for my own recovery? Or do I expect them to take care of me or take care of things for me? And, you know, I have to, this is another thing. I, you know, one of the things I tend to be overly responsible and, and, and take too much care that, that tends to be more of a character defect than taking too little, uh, with the exception of housework. I suck at housework. I'll be really honest. It just is not pretty. Um, you know, <laughs> if you ever come to my house, it looks like a craft bomb went off. I know I've said that before. Uh, but, you know, I used to be so ashamed about that. And now it's like, folks, it's better than eating, you know. Um, so, but, you know, one of the things I have to look at is, you know, I come from a generation where men did certain things and women did certain things. And I've broken the mold to a large degree just because of who I am. But, you know, I, you know, and I, I kind of tend to expect my husband to do the handiwork. But, you know, sometimes I need to be willing, if I can't do the handiwork myself, to hire it out and not just always expect my husband to do it. You know, I, te I tend to you know, I do tend to do some things more than my husband, like, for example, all the medical stuff, you know, making all the appointments and all that. But then on the other hand, we balance it out. He tends to take him to the appointments, you know, when I can't. So it's a, it's a balancing act. You know, a lot of this is about balance. Um, am I afraid to speak up when I see it in a healthy behavior in my work, my family, my relationships? Am I afraid to speak up when I see traditions ignored in my OA group? And, you know, one of the things about, you know, one of the things that I've struggled with is, is, I'm, is I'm a firm believer in the traditions. And when traditions are not being, if they're not being honored and not being kept, problems tend to happen at meetings. If there's some kind of a drama or a problem happening in it at a meeting, you know, it's like, it's time to sit down. Okay, what tradition is, is not being kept right here? Because whenever tradition is not being kept, there are going to be problems. It's just, that's just been my experience. Um, you know, and so when I see unhealthy behavior in a meeting, it's my responsibility to speak up. I may not speak up in the meeting. It may be after the meeting. And that's really hard, but that's all of our responsibility. It's about safety. It's about keeping our meetings safe. In our, in our family, if someone is behaving in an unhealthy manner, it's, it's up to us to speak up. And that's really hard because you know, I don't want to rock the boat. I've gotten much better over being in being recovery for over 30 years. I've done so much work on boundaries and, and speaking up and I'm much better at it, but it's hard, you know, especially at work because, well, you know, I'm being kind of a mouthy woman. Well, I've always kind of been a mouthy woman, but you know, in a male dominated profession, that's not always looked upon, you know, but it's a lot of it's in phrasing about, you know, it's a lot of it is how, how I speak up about it is um, how I phrase it is important because it can, how I phrase it can come across as, you know, we may want to look at this because I don't know if this is healthy for our group going forward. Or if I come in and say, you're violating the traditions, you know, I mean, it's like, it's, you know, in a meeting, it's, 
being the traditions police is not the goal. It's one of the things my sponsors helped me, I feel like I'm a little bit scattered here, but one of the areas where my sponsors really helped me on this is instead of saying that's a traditions violation, because that sounds very punitive saying, you know, I'm concerned about this because this is not in keeping with tradition eight, you know, for example, and that's a much nicer way of putting it and just explain that traditions keep our meetings safe and healthy. And so, um, you know, in, in, you know, in relationships, I can say, you know, when I'm seeing some unhealthy behavior, I can speak, I can speak up and say, you know, I, I sense that you're keeping a lot of, of, of frustration to yourself and it, you know, and, and then it comes out and kind of snippy comments. Um, let's talk about that because I want to understand where you're coming from. And I, you know, so I can do something different or better. Um, this is, uh, you know, this is something that I, that I have to work on. As far as, uh, can I do the, can I do the footwork in my family relationships or at work and trust the, the result, and this is the killer, and trust the results to my higher power, even when things don't go the way I think they should. Do I make it a point to learn about the 12 traditions and how I can apply them in my relationships? And this is something I do look at, and I'm really grateful for, you know, knowing people who've been studying the traditions for a month for a, a period of time, because I've had, you know, when I've talked to people in program about, you know, this really is making me upset, you know, working, and they've said, well, Tana, you know, this, this sounds like an outside issue. And are, do you really want to be bringing an outside issue into work? This is not, you know, this is probably not appropriate. It's like, oh, wow. And so working with other people in program who are familiar with the traditions, they have helped me point out areas that maybe where I have blind spots. Even though I've studied the traditions, I still have huge blind spots. And it's really helpful to work with others on the traditions because they can point out areas where I have blind spots or maybe I could look at things in a different way or maybe apply the tradition in a different way. I hope this is making some sense here. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's especially hard, you know, when, when I do my best and this is at work, when, when I, you know, I do all the footwork, you know, I used to be a, a director and I would meet with a group of managers and we, we'd lay out these ideas and plans. And, and I'm one of these people, I think about, you know, what immediately is going on, the next step and how it's gonna impact us five years down the future. And the rest of the group had a different way of looking at things. And we, you know, I would lay out some ideas and then I felt like my ideas were not listened to and they, I would be voted against. And I really was having a hard time with that. And, you know, I really was pissed and I had to just sit there and think, okay, you know, thy will, not my will be done. More will be revealed. And, and that's hard for me, especially when I know I'm right. <laughs> you know? But, you know, sometimes I have to let it go and trust that more will be revealed. Sometimes I wasn't right and I didn't have the whole picture. And sometimes the, the other folks needed to learn the hard way and then come around, you know, so God works in mysterious ways, my higher power, who I, who I choose to call God. And, you know, all those other people in the group, they also have a higher power too. And it's not me. That's kind of irritating. Um, do I practice rotation of leadership in my relationships or do I try to be the boss? Do I understand how sharing and rotation of leadership leads to, you know, relates, how sharing and ro rotating leadership relates to personal humil humility and the OA foundation of anonymity? Um, you know, I would rather not be the boss, but I can take charge and be very bossy. And, you know, my, the hardest thing for me is when I see nobody taking charge and I think they should, and then I start getting resentful. 
And then I said, I'm going to take charge. And then I'm going to boss you around. <laughs> and so I have to watch that because that's old pre-programmed behavior. And it's easy to slip into that. Also known as the oldest child syndrome, the eldest child in the family. So, um, you know, in my, in my leadership at work, I need to practice rotation. It doesn't mean I always volunteer to do things. Sometimes I need to step back and let other people do things. Same with my meetings. Um, you know, sometimes I'm really active at meeting level. Other times I'm more active in intergroup or regional service. And, and not doing everything is one of the things I have to watch and, and have, have the humility to step back and let other people do and grow and learn. Uh, thoughts in which to meditate. In a way, we have experienced how things work for the best when organization is kept at a minimum. The order we once sought in rules and power structures, we have found in freedom instead. Trusting our higher power rather than any organizational structure, we can now take responsibility for our shared lives and for the OA fellowship in which we are re recovering together. That's page 150 of the OA 12 and 12 second edition. If the emphasis is on fellowship, are intergroup, region, and world service really necessary? Spoiler alert, yes. Page 146 of the 12 and 12. Our recovery depends upon the adherence to our spiritual principles, the traditions. Why? Uh, I challenge you to look at pages 178, 179. How to handle people who disregard the traditions, pages 147 through 149. One um, of the things, the traditions are great. I had this one person when I was in the Bay Area who was absolutely hell-bent on selling non-program literature, this one meeting I met, went to. And he was, he was saying, you know, Tana, I think you're being really unreasonable and you need to be more open-minded. And I could say, dude, I understand what you're saying, but per the traditions, this is an outside issue. I didn't have to become a battle of wills and personalities. It was a matter of the traditions, you know? And so, you know, the traditions are for keeping us safe. And if someone is not in keeping with the traditions, I can just lovingly point out, you know, our traditions keep us safe. It's not my, my opinion's right and you should do it my way. It's the traditions help keep us safe. We rely on this to keep our meetings healthy. So we need to follow this tradition. And that closes our session. Thank you. You're welcome. So what we will do now, uh, we will go on to, um, to tradition 10, step 10 and tradition 10 at this. And I'll go ahead and go first, Hannah, since we kind of did that. Um, so, Step 10 is continue to, I, I'll read this first. Um, tradition, uh, step 10, continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. The spiritual principle is perseverance. Years ago, I was at a meeting and I heard, continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly omitted it. And I really kind of like that reading better <laughs> that I want to omit so many things in my life. And that's one of them. And then it says, 10 Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence the OA name ought never be draw drawn into public controversy. And the spiritual principle here is neutrality. Now, how in God's green earth are per perseverance and neutrality mixed. And it's very simple for me. 
when I take my inventory, you know, there is that the perseverance of continuing to do something because it works and because it helps keep me sane and all that sort of stuff. It helps me to avoid getting into a lot of stuff that would really cause a lot of controversy at home, at work, in OA, in other organizations, and within my faith community. See, neutrality, my dear friends, doesn't mean that we don't have opinions. Neutrality for me means that I'm not trying to tell people how they should think, what they should think, and how wrong they are, and how right I am. It takes perseverance for me to keep my mouth closed and remain open-minded. Because I go back to this, I keep my mouth closed with certain folks because I don't like to make amends to people I don't like. So here's a, here's a case in point. Um, unfortunately, I have the tongue of a sailor. Um, and it is just, it's just, it's just, oh, there are times that you would think that an educated man would actually find some other verbiage to use. But I grew up in a farming community where you just plain speak. Well, unfortunately, I just plain spoke at work one day. And this one, this lady that I work with, a woman that I really don't like, um, I knew that I offended her. She didn't have to say anything. But I knew. And we know when we know that we have done something to offend another's. See, and that's that's part of that neutrality part. Nobody had to tell me. I was neutral enough and I was paid attention enough to know. So I made amends to her and she said, Oh no, no, that's that's quite all right. That's just the way you are. And I said, No, it's not all right. I have to respect. I have to respect you and, and knowing that certain words that I use are offensive. And she didn't know what to say. I mean, because when we make amends and we continue to do this on a daily basis, it's people don't know how to do this. But what it does, it breaks, it breaks that, that cycle of, of, being so freaking opinionated. You know what I mean? It's when I say, you know, I was out of line when I said that. There one time I had this guy at um that who was my boss. He and his wife got married in January on like January 1st or something like that. Now mind you, I hadn't known the guy for too long and I said and since I had just like been out of school for a few months, college accounting and accounting and stuff. I said, gosh, guys, why didn't you get married on the 31st of December? Because that way you could have counted each other as a spouse the whole year. Now, once again, I was not being very, very um, civil. I was actually almost being confrontational and, and, um, controversial because they had their own reasons why they wanted to be married on January 1st. I was thinking, I was being the tightwad going, you could have saved money. I did make amends. 
because I listened to what I said, I had overstepped those bounds of, of controversy. And I needed to say, that was not my place to say, say that. And I really do, and I really am sorry for that statement. Mind you folks, that was, that was tough. So um, here's, here's the question that I pose. It says, in the perseverance of taking my 10th step inventory and admitting my defects of character, how have I allowed myself to ignore neutrality and drawn myself and others into public controversy at home, work, OA, social life, and all that other stuff. All I have to do is, um, I'm not trying to make this into a political statement, but all, all you have to do is just mention politics and my God controversy, people just go from, <clears throat> that's so controversial. But there are other issues in this, in this nation that are controversial, but what are, and do I, am I once again, am I that pot stirrer? Do I like to scrape up the stuff, all the muck and the mire at the bottom and bring it to the surface and then sit and watch people get nasty and vicious and just horrible to one another? I'm responsible for that. The other part of it is, do I make amends for what I've done? So that's 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 that perseverance. That perseverance, perseverance is not just um, uh, admitting when I'm wrong, but admitting to myself when my food plan isn't going the way that it really needs to go. Am I really being honest with my food? See, perseverance, this particular step goes back to step one and that spiritual principle of honesty. Am I being honest? And as I persevere through this stuff, am I being honest? The other part of it is, am I being honest about staying out of controversial topics that I know will inflame people? You know, there are some folks, it's almost worth it to just mention a certain word and watch them explode. I'm gonna pick on, pick on somebody who's not here um, and Tana knows who it is. All I had to do was mention the name Barbie doll. And this poor woman would just go into a tirade and all this other stuff. And it was so much fun to watch her get her knickers in a knot. And yet, was I sorry for what I had done? And part of me, it's no, because it was fun to watch her get irritated. But at the same time, was that really necessary? See, Sometimes controversial issues need to be discussed, but they don't need to be discussed so adamantly and so viciously and so horribly that amends need to be made. That was um, that neutrality. I can be neutral. I can, I can be Switzerland and listen to both sides. And when I overstep the bounds, I can say, you know, it's my understanding that, and here is how I need to do something or whatever. So that's that's how I look at this stuff, folks. And I know that that sometimes it's really difficult to to grasp some of this stuff, but I think 
hearing others talk about the steps, the traditions, the and the spiritual principle for each and how how they are tied really makes uh, an impact. And it has made it that they have made an impact on me and hopefully are making an impact on you. So Tana, take it over. Thanks, Mike. Feel free to let the timer go off if I'm uh, talking too long. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Tradition 10. OA has no opinion on outside issues. Hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. The spiritual principle is neutrality or non-controversial. Another way to look at this is live and let live. And uh, by the way, your children are not on your plan of eating. Neither is your spouse or your coworkers. In case you were wondering. That is a joke in my family, you know. I fully understand why mother animals in the wild sometimes eat their young. But my children are not on my food plan. <laughs> okay. Um, as applied to relationships, of relationship, whether at home or work, should avoid heated controversy. We are each entitled to our own opinion on outside issues. Hence, our name ought never be drawn into public controversy. So how well do I live by the 10th tradition? You know, the first question, can I honestly share my own personal experience without acting like a know-it-all, name dropping, or implying my experience is more valid than others? You know, I think that as I've been in, in program, this is not really, uh, this is not really a big issue for me any, anymore. When I was new to program and I was younger, I had a lot less self-confidence and, uh, you know, you know, and so there was that desire to look like I was, I, I knew, you know, and, you know, and that can come across as a know-it-all. Um, so this is not as, uh, as much of an issue for me as it was in early in program, but now I just figure, I just share my experience. This is my experience. And when I'm dealing with a know-it-all, they, they can argue with what I know or don't know, but they can't argue with my experience, you know? And so if I'm, if I'm having a debate with somebody at work and, you know, you're wrong and, you know, I can just say, you know, I respect what you say, but you know, that's just not been my experience. My experience has been X, Y, and Z. And so by just keeping in talking in terms of this is my experience, I'm able to, to sidestep a lot of controversy. And that has been extremely helpful because they can't argue with my experience. Um, you know, and then asking people instead of, you know, what's the right answer? Just say, you know, asking them, what's your experience on this? And that way it's a lot less threatening to them because I'm not asking them to, you know, step up and be a know-it-all. I'm just asking them to share, you know, what their experience is. And it's, it, it helps a lot of people be a little bit more comfortable. Um, you know, do I find relationships more interesting? Second question, when there's a spark of controversy in the group, do I ever bring in outside issues just to get people stirred up? Or am I afraid to speak up when other others use controversy to stir things up at family, work, and relationships? Um, you, definitely, I used to, you know, find controversy interesting because we get, you know, we form sides and people get, you know, their, their blood pressure up and, oh, it's us versus them and, you know, winners and losers and, you know, and I, like I talked about one of my coworkers, we talk about politics. It was like crossfire from, you know, the left, here is person A, from the right, there's person B and be like, Arr. you know, but that is an outside issue. 
talking about this outside issue at work does nothing for our productivity. And, you know, it's just a controversy that we can avoid. And so I, you know, I really avoid talking about things that are controversial now at work. You know, even, you know, even within, um, you know, I live in a, in a, in a neighborhood where people are of a different, most of my neighbors are of a different political persuasion than I am. And one of the things I try to do is I just try to share my experience and, and not get into the drama because everybody has their opinions, you know, and, and everybody's, you know, our, our, our perception is colored by our experiences. Different people have different experiences than me. And so if I can keep the drama out and we can maybe talk about our experiences, that's a lot less controversial than talking about, you know, person A versus person B, you know, in politics, for example, you know, or issue A and issue B or whatever that may be. Um, question three, can I continue to share OA fellowship and even close friendships with people who don't share my opinions? Do I concentrate on common bonds rather than our differences? One of the things that I find so amazing in OA is the people that I have become friends with in OA, you know, especially early in program, but just throughout my whole years in program, I would have never met them in my social circles. They were not my professional circles. They were not in my financial circles. They weren't in my social circles. I would have never run into them in a million years. Yet these are some of the people that I be have become closest to in my recovery. And my life is so incredibly enriched. You know, I have close friendships where we are, you know, again, politics, because that's been really on the forefront of, of you know, our, our country. We have diametrically opposed politics. But yet we are very dear friends. You know, there's sometimes there's some things we just say, you know, we're going to have to agree to disagree on this one. You know, we have different experiences and different opinions, and we just leave that topic to the side, because really, you know, do we need to have this drama? Is it, you know, what is that going to bring into our lives? Well, probably not much good. You know, you know, focusing on our common interest, common interests, that is something that you know in recovery. You know, when we had used to have the how plan versus the traditional OA plan. And there was so much controversy between the two. You know, in focusing on, in, in using tradition one and unity, we have focused on our common goals, you know, recover from compulsive overeating rather than the differences in how we work the program. We were able to overcome quite a bit. And I believe we can do that in many areas of our lives, whether it be at work, whether it be uh, in po political situations in our neighborhoods, um, you know, focusing on, our, on the commonality. That's, it's our common, it's our common uh, disease that brings us into Overeaters Anonymous. It's a common disease and it's a common solution. Do my, I drag my relationships into public controversy? You know, that's, you know, that I've never, I don't, I don't do that. Um, but, you know, that is, that is an area where people historically have had issues, you know, dragging their, uh, you know, having a breakup and dragging their uh, spouse through mutual, um, uh, mutual, you're trying to fire up mutual friends, get them to trade sides or chate or not trade sides, uh, pick sides. I've never, I've never done that. Um, it's, you know, you know, going through divorce and, um, you know, one of the things, you know, you're mad at your ex, some folks will poison their kids against the ex. And, you know, my, my response has always been, um, rather than, than, make my disagreements with my ex public with my kids. You know, I really don't talk about it much. My kids are gonna figure things out. Um, just 
you know, speak positively about that. I can talk to my OA friends when I need an event, but just, you know, being, being professional about it and not dragging the kids through the mud of, of my, uh, my first marriage. Um, am I careful about my opinions and rely on the slogan, let live and let live, you know, that's another point, you know, to, to think about. Thoughts in which to meditate. Tradition 10 frees us to concentrate on recovery from compulsive eating without the conflicts which seem to rage in the world around us. Many of us had been drawn to the excitement of conflict. Of course, no group or person can live completely free of contact or conflict, but in a way we can learn, we can learn, we can live and even thrive with a minimum of strife. OA is a, has excitement enough to offer as we see hopeless compulsive overeaters recover through the miracle of the 12 steps. This could not happen if we allowed outside issues to turn our fellowship into a platform for debate. For this reason, the 10th tradition of having no opinion on outside issues is one of our most carefully guarded practices in OA. This is from page 155 of, of OA, 12 and 12, second edition. So if you're wondering in a meeting, what, what is an outside issue? Check on page 153 and why we avoid outside issues in our OA meetings, page 152 and 153. Um, do personal OA members need to sacrifice personal freedom and give up outside concerns and activities? Spoiler alert, no. Page 185, we just don't bring them into the meetings. Are diets or weight loss plans an outside issue? Page 153, what about non-conference approved OA literature? Page 153 and page 154. Uh, spoiler alert, diets and weight loss plans are an outside issue. Also non-conference approved OA literature. Again, outside issues. There's nothing wrong with that. We just don't discuss it in the meeting because it's not, uh, it's not conference approved. We can discuss it outside the meeting all we want. 